Hey, Coconuts, yes, recently our producer Ernie asked me, hey, why some of these reuse so high? 50-something percent, 15%, like, is this normal? Is this proper? Is this real? And I'm like, hmm, yeah, this is a worthy discussion. It's been a long time since we come back into uh, one of Singaporeans' favourite discussion, the REIT discussion, Real Estate Investment Trust. And I uh, suspect that Ernie made some money in NFTs. Uh, that's why he can <laughs> he start to talk to me about REITs. Uh, there was a period of time I asked him, hey, why you don't invest in the stock market? I don't really have a lot of capital to you know be too broadly diversified. You see, yeah, this guy had a concentrated portfolio in uh, digital assets, right? So either way, today we're going to focus a little bit on REITs reads and answer this one question on how to increase their yield, right? So how do REITs increase their yield, understand the relationship between dividend, price and yield, and then get a better idea of how do you look at REITs, okay? I mean, ultimately, it's really to learn to be a better REIT picker or pick better REITs for your portfolio, right? So welcome back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good morning, everyone. I welcome you to another day with the Financial Coconut. In our podcast, debunking financial myths, discovering best financial practices, and discussing financial strategies that fits a unique life. You get it. Ultimately, empowering us to create a life we love for managing our finances well. And today, we're going to focus a little bit on how can REITs increase their yield, like quote-unquote increase their yield, and how do you play this game? Okay, so I think um, a little bit of uh, clarity here first, okay? So there are a few terms that we're going to use. Number one is read yield. Uh, some people will use distribution yield, okay, accordingly. So read yield. And the formula for read yield is dividend payout or distribution payout divided by the price of the read. Okay, so distribution per unit divided by the price per unit of the read is the read yield. Okay, so I repeat, uh, the formula is read yield equals distribution per unit divided by price per read. Okay, so now you see the relationship. Okay, distribution per unit uh, is just a term that reads use. Uh, I would say, you know, you're going to see as dividend payout, I think it's fine. doesn't really matter, but it's just technical formula, you know, that kind of jargons kind of stuff. So they have a different word for REITs as compared to a company paying out dividends. So for REIT, every time they pay out something, it is called distribution per unit. And this formula is extremely important because that underpins the whole discussion of like, how do you increase yield? Right? You got to look at the formula. So when the formula is as such, you can always change either the distribution per unit or you can change the price of the yield of the read, right? And then that would change 
the REIT yield essentially. So when people look at REITs, they'll be like, oh, you know, this REIT, uh, the yield not very high, uh, 2%, 3%, you know, like data centers or like healthcare, you know, the, the Parkway Health Group and uh, some of these quote-unquote uh, safer REITs or, you know, or like popular REITs, right? Their, their REIT yield are all kind of low and then you have all these crazy uh, REITs at like 15%, 10%, you know, like Sabana or like First REIT or, you know, whatever you, right? So I don't know what's exactly the numbers, but recently I so I think first week was going at 15% yield. There's one going at 50% yield. And how do you then look at this? You know, what is it really trying to suggest? I think that's the question to ask. Instead of seeing, you know, 10%, 5%, 8% as the profitability of the REIT, I would suggest that we should look at this yield as an indicator of how the market is trying to understand this REIT. In other words, the lower the REIT yield, it is the market suggesting that this REIT is good and solid. That's why they are willing to you know, pay a higher price for a lesser dividend. Pretty much that's the idea, right? So instead of seeing it, okay, so, so work with me, instead of seeing REIT yield as a direct reflection of the profitability of the REIT, okay, that means like, oh, if I buy this REIT, I get 8% year on year, the yield, or I get... 10% year-on-year yield. Instead of seeing it that way, I want you to see it more in the direction of if the REIT yield is lower, 2 3 4%, it means the market is saying that this REIT is quite high quality or at least higher quality such that they are willing to pay a higher price for the same amount of dividend or for less, or for less distribution per unit, right? Because that is the formula, right? Distribution per unit divided by price of REIT. Follow me? So when I see it that way, I think it is a lot more reflective of how markets work and it's also a lot more reflective of what underpins uh, why there are certain REITs that are going at like 15% REIT yield. It's like, oh, does it mean this REIT is producing very well? Or does this mean that this REIT is a little bit risky? That's why people don't want to buy it and they're paying a lower price, right? Because based on the formula, as long as the price of the REIT come down and the distribution stays the same, the REIT yield will go up. Okay, so this is something something very important to look at. And today I'm going to spend some time to share with you how some of these uh, REITs then engineer a higher yield or, you know, how do you actually make money? Because if you think about it, it is no longer about the yield alone. It's about whether or not you can get good distribution per unit because that is the direct cash that comes into you and whether or not the price of the REIT will stay strong or keep going up such that, you know, you get capital appreciation. Although we did say in our earlier episodes, please go and check out all the earlier REIT episodes. We did say in our earlier episodes that when you buy a REIT, very likely there will be limited capital appreciation because uh, that is how REITs work. Okay, just a quick recap. REITs is a situation where the property developer, after they develop their particular property, whether it's in a mall, the office, hospital, whatever you, they want to offload from their balance sheet, okay, because it is too heavy, hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, stuck there, you know, in, in asset value, but there's no cash flow. So what do they do? They sell this property to a REIT that they manage. You know? So it tends to be the case uh, in Singapore. They, they sell the property in their developer arm to the REIT, 
So now the REIT pays them maybe 100, 200, 300 million to the developer and then the developer will take this money and develop more property and wait for capital appreciation. In this property development, then once the property becomes mature and developed, they sell to the REIT again and the, the REIT continue to manage us and get the kind of yield and then the capital goes back to the property developer again. So because they sell out. Uh. Right, so with this is what we call capital recycling. Developer build, they sell to the REIT, the REIT gives them the cash and then the cash goes back to the developer, the developer can continue to build which is why people are very concerned about who is the sponsor, aka the developer. Okay, so, so that is the whole flow. Please go and check out the earlier episode on uh, how to upgrade your REIT game. Okay, when you, when you listen to that, you get a clearer idea of how REITs really work and how should you understand some of the incentive structure within the REIT ecosystem. So with that in mind, we got to recognize that there will be limited capital appreciation you know, for every REIT. Like you don't expect to buy the REIT you know, uh, and make 20-30% every year. Okay, maybe some of you made some money. I did make some money, you know, in the in the earlier days of last last year during the pandemic when the REIT sold down, I bought it in and then prices move up. Ah, yeah, I got a little bit of weirder kind of not weird, weird, what do you call Weird returns, you know, from a capital appreciation standpoint because under normal situation, you know, 5% capital appreciation, 6%, 10% is amazing, you know, from a capital appreciation viewpoint for REIT. Because if you think about it, yeah, the REIT is supposed to be matured property already. That's not supposed to have much kind of capital appreciation. Of course, underlying property value and the REIT price itself uh, is still some difference because the REIT price work on the market, right? So th listen to the episode, ah, and then they, we, I don't, don't want to go deeper and deeper. But why do I go through that whole cycle? It's because I want us to recognize that it is not about chasing REIT yield. Okay, REIT yield is only indicative of the quality of this REIT and the desire of the market to want to get this REIT. It is about focusing on dividend payout, which is distribution per unit, and also the price of the REIT that is their capital appreciation because that's all that matters to you. Today, when you buy into the REIT, how do you make money? You make money when the distribution pay out to you and also uh, when the price of the REIT moves up. Nothing to do with the you anymore. Okay, so I think I think this is extremely important. Although my headline says how to increase their yield is to pull you in. Uh, the real discussion is how do you make money from REITs and how do you understand yield changes to then better indicate your REIT choices. Okay, so think about it at the core, the way you make money from owning REITs is when the REITs increase their distribution per unit because that means they pay you more dividend right, per unit. And also when the price of the REIT moves up, whether or not the yield really changes doesn't really matter to you. But if the yield changes a lot, it is very indicative of uh, the price of the REIT and it's very indicative of what the market is saying about this particular REIT. So with that brings me to point number one of how do you make more money with a REIT, okay? Number one is the REIT must be able to increase its PSF rental per square foot rental, okay? In other words, the REIT must be able to have pricing ability, right? All the properties under this REIT must be able to increase their rental per square foot. Essentially, in a property business, right, there are only there are probably three mechanisms only. Number one is property occupancy. If the property is already at 95% occupancy or 100% occupancy, are you expecting more occupants in this property? No, it already maxed out. 
Okay, so this is this is number one. Okay, number uh, number two is can they increase their price per square feet? So for all the land or for all the space that they're renting out, can they increase it? If they can increase it, then okay, then there is increase in revenue, right? There's increase in rental. Okay, so number one is can do they have more space to rent? If they have more space to rent, okay, then they can increase their rental. Number two is whether they can you know get more money <laughs> per square foot and then they can increase their revenue because they increase their rental. Of course, number three is to cut costs, right? So economics of scale. So this. Three fundamental ideas underpin every REIT business or every property business, you know, that, that is out there. Okay, of course, there are other people that do property flipping, property development is different. Okay, we're just talking about rental of high quality properties. Uh, these three ideas underpin it pretty much. So, in this situation, why I say the focus is on increasing PSF rental rather than the other few. Okay, because I think this is the only one that can give you consistent progress. Because at some point, uh, the property may not be able to, you know, have any more space to lease out, right? <laughs> like the malls, you see the malls, do they have any more corners? They want to cut out the corridor to lease you the space. Yeah, I mean, they do, right? <laughs> Some of the malls, they do. Capital Land does a lot of those things, okay? Shout out to them. But if the properties under the REITs are not able to continuously engineer more space, you know, which is probably the reality, how to keep cutting, how to keep creating, right? So if they are not able to consistently uh, create more space, then the only real growth engine is their ability to keep charging more and more and more, which is why I want us to focus on their ability to increase their PSF rental, right? So if a REIT can increase their PSF rental over time, per square foot rental over time, then this REIT is very strong underlying, right? Because that means the property is valuable, uh, tenants are willing to do it, and yeah, it, it has the kind of ability to stay relevant and keep increasing their revenue bit by bit, right? because that's the only real growth potential in my view. Okay, but well, when you're reading and uh, trying to understand some of the reads when you read through the investor relation papers, I have a few things that I want to uh, caution uh, all our listeners, okay? Number one is anchor tenants. Okay, so whether is it the malls or whether is it your offices or, you know, what have you, uh, they all have anchor tenants. Okay, so when there's an anchor tenant, or even the hospitals, they got anchor, like Parkway, you know, read is an anchor tenant, right? So every time there's an anchor tenant, the anchor tenant has quite a decent bargaining power. So it impedes the ability of the REIT or the underlying property to negotiate higher PSF over time, okay? So in other words, let me give you, uh, just focus on the malls, okay? In other words, huh? we focus on the malls. NTUC, the library, the cinema, you know, those guys that take up a lot of space and spaces that people don't want, like B2, la, level 5, like, you know, those kind of spaces, these guys pay about one-third the rental of average retailers, okay? And you and me, we cannot lie to ourselves, huh? NTUC and the cinema, they are anchor tenants. Although they take the very weird corners of the mall, having them makes a difference. People want to come to the mall because they have big supermarket, they have, you know, high quality, you know, uh, produce and they have, you know, all, all those other stuff, right? You go to the malls for that, at least in Singapore's context, right? So with that in mind, you need to recognize that if the mall is filled with uh, anchor tenants or even if the offices is filled with anchor tenants, that means there's like this huge, like we work takes up three levels, you know, so that's the anchor tenant of the office, right? So if there's a big anchor tenant and it is dependent on the anchor tenant, 
there's limited bargaining power. You will see their PSF going up very slowly. Okay, relative to uh, smaller merchants where the mall have a lot of negotiation power or the, or the property uh, manager have a lot of negotiation power to kind of push the rental price higher, 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 higher over time. Okay, so I think this is extremely important because once you recognize that you how you make money from the REIT is increase dividend payout or increase price of the REIT, not about the yield, then you need to recognize that, oh yeah, maybe... You know, this is extremely important because if the property can keep increasing PSF rental, then okay, I can make more money from this REIT. But that brings me to point number two of how do you, you know, pick better REITs and increase your profitability and that is portfolio expansion. Okay, that means the REIT goes out there to purchase more properties and increase their overall space so that they can lease out more, right? And uh, there are a lot of nuances in this point. I will come back to you after a word from our sponsor. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I think a lot of you that are invested in the Singapore REIT market start to see the Singapore REITs buying property abroad. Australia, UK, you know, China, and what have you, right? So a lot of more purchases in the region. One of my favorite places in this world is Subang, you know, in, in Malaysia. And Maple Tree Logistics buys a lot of Subang property. Shout out to them. Uh, because that's like an export hub near the Klang port. Okay, so when you look at this reality, what does it tell you? It tells you that a lot of the REITs, right, they have no place to go already. They got no property to buy here in Singapore. Of course, there's no new properties going. You know, what, what can they do, right? So they have to buy abroad if they want to keep growing. So this is one reality. Although I say that it is important for the REIT to expand their portfolio because of scale, right? But if they start expanding abroad, which you are seeing, okay, and some of them, they expand abroad, a bit questionable, but they expand abroad, you are subjected to exchange rate risk. Okay, this is important. Yeah? So whether or not the political stability, the exchange rates, how do those things change, become more and more of an issue. All right, so that is something that uh, I am concerned. I'm still figuring out as I get more clarity, I will share more with all of you. But like I said in the earlier part of the podcast, for the underlying property to really make money, you know, so that the REIT can reflect, you know, its value. Um, to increase that kind of profitability of the underlying property, there's only three ways, right? Make more, have more space to rent out, increase the PSF, and also reduce costs. Right? So whenever the REIT does expansion, they are increasing the space that they can rent out, and they are also uh, increasing their scale so that they can reduce the cost of management. Right? So this is extremely important, and uh, tends to be that bigger REITs will have the kind of economics of scale that uh, whether is it from rental arrangements or whether is it from like management managing so many properties and you know it's like you have one marketing intern <laughs> the marketing intern can do <laughs> do marketing stuff for 10 properties also can do for three right so yeah you get the idea right so so with that scale it, it makes them uh, more profitable as a read itself okay 
And yes, whenever the REIT announces that they want to expand their property portfolio, um, it can be through raising debt. You know, um, they, they raise more money from debt. That means they, they borrow money. Or it can be through the release of new REITs, right? New, new REIT units, right? So new shares of the REIT. And either way, uh, this is something that is a little bit more complicated for discussion. Check out the earlier podcast that we've done. I think what is important is one of the REITs that I bought, right? Which is ESR REIT. Um, they went through quite a few cycles of expansion, right? Because essentially they try to merge and become bigger and all that jazz. And I think a lot of the properties that they own are okay, not the most fantastic, but in my view, it's like I, I think it's under underappreciated as a REIT itself because of the kind of logistical nature of some of the things that they do, the manufacturing nature of the things that they do. And Singaporeans think, ah, yeah, manufacturer, me, future, ah, you know, logistics. No, but we are a port, guys. We cannot forget that fundamentally one of our main business is the port. I think the port makes up at least 5% of our GDP, okay? And then all the extended businesses, right? All the processing, all the moving around and, and all the repackaging and all those things, they all exist, right? So I do think industrial spaces are underappreciated and uh, ESR has done, you know, whatever job that they have done, I think it's pretty good. I mean, from a from a me making money, it's good, lah, right? So, <laughs> because there's capital appreciation right? and underpinning that whole thing is because when they were trying to expand their inventory, they had to sell more shares, they had to raise more debt and people didn't believe in them. So their, re- their yield went up. Because the price came down, but I went in. And then the price came back down, now the yield come down. Right? So you see the, the relationship, right? Yield, dividend or distribution, and price. This is the relationship that you need to recognize. Right? And in this view, ultimately, the core is still more dividend, increased price. That is the way you make money, not so much about the yield. Okay? And point number three, how do REITs quote-unquote increase their yield? That is, the REIT becomes the new hot sector. Like I said in this podcast, I want to establish this clarity of the read yield, right? And in the beginning, I already said that the read yield, you know, really is a reflection of how popular the properties are or how popular this read is, right? So 5%, 4%, 3%. The real sense is the lower the percent, the more the price people are willing to pay per dividend of for the read. okay? So with that clarity, reads that are hotter, People are willing to pay a premium for it, right? So when people pay a premium for it, the yield will come down, right? Because the denominator is the price of the REIT. The yield will come down. So does it really indicate that the property has changed? Mm, yes or no? You know, the underlying property may stay the same. But now, maybe it's like the sectorial shift, right? Like, like what is happening with the market now, you know, with the whole tourism you know, opening up and all that, right? So the, the reopening play, maybe that tourism will pick up and with that, tourism-related REITs become the hot sector. Right? So when it becomes the hot sector, the yield will come down. But does it mean that the underlying property has any changes? No. Okay, maybe there'll be more rental, you know, more people will come in and all that, right? But has it really happened? Not yet. Right? It's, it's a lot of market pricing its expectation into the REIT yield itself. If you think about it, data center REITs have been in the discussion for the longest time and the REIT yield has been staying for very, very low. All in this idea that data center, you know, is the future, right? The REIT future, blah, blah, blah. But from someone that has worked in the space, uh, I would say there are some fundamental changes that are happening within the data center space and a lot of the bigger guys have offloaded and tried to merge, right? So I've talked to you about Equinix before. 
I think Iconix has a bigger portfolio mix of properties you know, in the data center space. They're more consolidated. They have a lot of cables that they connect you know, direct to Equinix. Um, that makes data transfer a lot faster and all that jazz. What is important is Capital DC does not have that skill. Okay? In some people, I know they will say, oh, you know, it's not about that, blah, blah, blah. But in my view, Capital DC is trading at a super, super low read yield, right? So the yield is about 2 point something, 3%. That is essentially the market saying, you know, this is a very, very good read. It's here to stay for a very long time. It's going to be like that. But my question is, is it really going to be like that for a very long time? Or what is it going to change? Is it going to be a situation where data center have no more pricing power? They cannot keep increasing their, their, their PSF? Or is, uh, or is the REITs going to then be repriced as a result of you know, new reality, new changes in technology? Right? So don't be too certain that data centers are here to stay forever you know, because that is what the rental yield or the REIT yield in particular is trying to tell you in the market. All right? So with that, I want to once again wrap up to help all of us recognize that the yield of the REIT may or may not be indicative of how good the REIT is. It is just indicative of what the market perceives of this REIT. Because the formula is REIT yield equals to dividend payout or distribution payout divided by price per REIT. All right. So with that, I hope you have a little bit more clarity of how do you then look at the REIT? How do they actually play around with the yield? And how can you profit from this whole process? So with that, I'm going to sum up the three points for today. How do you better play this read game and understand this yield thing? Number one is the underlying property must be able to increase their PSF, right? Price per square foot. That means their rental ability. How much can they flex? And if they're very big anchor tenants, it means their underlying you know, ability to keep raising rental prices may not be that strong. And to me, this is one of the biggest growth engine or I would say the only real growth engine of any REIT property, right? Because capital appreciation is already a max for the underlying property. So if you want your REITs to, you know, to go up, you want that higher payout, higher dividend and all that, then increased PSF needs to happen. And this will fundamentally change REIT yields. Number two is portfolio expansion. If there's more properties within this REIT, then yeah, they have economics of scale and they have more, essentially more spaces to rent out, right? So I think this is extremely important. But every time a REIT announces that they want to merge or they want to release more REIT equity or they want to, you know, uh, raise more money, it always shifts the yield, right? And when it shifts the yield, what does it tell you? It only tells you market sentiments. How is the market looking at this move and not so much the underlying assets that they are buying and not so much about the profitability going forward. So always recognize this as market signal, but what you're trying to do is try to understand the underlying property, right? Because to me, I'm a more fundamentalist person. And point number three is the REIT becomes the hot sector. Whenever the REIT becomes a hot sector, the rental, the REIT yield will change. But the fundamentals of the property may or may not have changed, okay? It's just a perception of, uh, you know, potential rise, things are coming back and all that jazz, right? So it becomes the hot sector. Of course, the converse is true. If today data centers, there's new technology to say, that, oh, you know, we no longer need something like that or what have you, then capital DC review is going to move up, right? Because the market will say, that, oh, you know, maybe uh, we don't really want this data center anymore, blah, 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 right? So recognize the relationship between review, distribution per unit and price per read. Okay, so I hope you learned something useful today. See ya.
Hey, I hope you learned something useful today and truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconut. Knowledge is that much more powerful and interesting when shared, debated and discussed. Join our community telegram group, follow us on our social, sign up for our weekly newsletter. We are doing a weekly newsletter reboot. We are going to have a lot of information within the newsletter. Everything is in the description below. And if you love us and want to help us grow, definitely share the podcast with your friends and on your socials. Also, if you have any interesting thoughts you want to share or you know someone that we would like to hear from, reach out to us through hello at thefinancialcoconut.com With that, have a great day ahead Stay tuned next week And always remember Personal finance can be chill, clear And sustainable for all Mom deserves the best And there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day Than Whole Foods Market They're your destination for unbeatable savings From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers And irresistible desserts Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Okay, so that's four weeks of uh, stock-related, investment-related kind of content. Uh, I'm going to take a break from that. But if you have any specific companies or specific funds, specific stocks that you want us to talk a little bit more about that you feel needs to be expanded, hey, you should, you can always drop into the Telegram group and just let me know or let us know that, hey, you know, there's this thing I want to talk about, I want to look at, you know. So a lot of these things, they do help, okay? Trust me, yeah? all the questions that you ask, the things that you put up, the opinions that you you throw in the Telegram group and yeah, all these things, they help to create content, right? So you want to be active in this process of creating content together with us, you should always do that. But yes, enough of the whole like stock investing thing for a while. Uh, next week, I want to talk a little bit uh, about prudence, right? Frugality. I think frugality has been held as a moral high ground for a very long time. Anybody that is seen as not frugal is seen as like blasphemous. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about that. I think anytime something is held as a moral high ground, it becomes overly simplified and on some level problematic. So I'm going to talk a little bit about frugality and um, kind of expand to you how I look at frugality and uh, where is my position on this idea, which is very, very prevalent in the personal finance space. So I'll see you next week.